0: and use promo code bear for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast, presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Hey, guys, I want to take a minute and talk about something that I think is really important. Right now in the United States, the spring 2022 legislative agendas and public comment periods for state agencies are coming out. And as I hope you've heard, Many have strong anti-hunting and specifically anti-predator hunting agendas. Washington state recently canceled the spring 22 bear season, despite it being recommended by their fish and wildlife. Colorado bill SB 22-031 is set to ban mountain lion, bobcat, and lynx hunting. Arizona is experiencing a strategic push from the animal rights crowd to change current regulations about lion and bear hunting by flooding the public comment process. California has petitions filed to suspend bear hunting in the state until further population studies can be done. In Vermont, anti-hunting groups are pushing for a full ban on the use of hounds in hunting, and the list can go on. Years ago, if you would told me that hunting was strategically under attack, I would have called you an alarmist, crying wolf when there wasn't one here. We all live in some version of cocoons with limited visibility of the wider nation. That cocoon is partly geographic, but mainly the cocoon is our own interest. When I started working with Bear Hunting Magazine in 2013, my eyes popped wide open when I saw bear hunting in the crosshairs of many states, and I saw how the tools of bear management and the methods of take that make bear hunting viable had already been banned in many places. Just as a short, non-complete overview, California banned bear hunting with hounds in 2013 and mountain lion hunting in the 1990s. Washington State banned hounds and bait for bear in 1996. Oregon banned bear hunting with hounds and bait in the mid-1990s. Colorado banned bear hunting with hounds and bait in 1992. In 2021, New Jersey banned all bear hunting completely on the basis of public opinion. Several years ago, we started saying that we've got to guard the gate. Guard the gate. Because predator hunting is the gate of the anti-hunting community to come into the space of the North American model of wildlife conservation. Which I might add is the most successful act of wild animal and habitat management on planet Earth Since the frontier days of America, there has always been a political and ideological divide between the urban and rural areas. The masses often have the attention of the politicians because of money and votes. And as I've always said, it's a one-phase sell to convince someone with no history or knowledge of hunting that killing a bear or a predator is bad. It's a much more complex story to convince them that it's a good thing. And this is why we as hunters have to work harder than those that oppose us, and we should because we actually have stock in this thing. There is something that we've now seen work twice in the last year, and it's when hunters from all over the country, hunters of every stripe and creed, participate in communicating with legislators and the powers that be. Last year, a California bill was submitted to ban bear hunting, and the legislator was bombarded by people who love wildlife enough to know that hunting is good, and it swayed the political process, and the bill never made it to the floor. In just the last few months, the public outcry of hunters to reinstate the spring bear season in Washington got the spring bear hunt back on the agenda of the commission and was recently discussed again. Inside of a democracy, the main tool that we have is our voices. We all know that, and I urge us all to become more active participants in every way by making our voices heard. I've found the easiest way to do this is by following the lead of the wildlife organizations that have all this communication stuff dialed in. Most of them are a one-stop shop for letting your voice be heard. I have zero affiliation with any of these groups that I'm about to say, but I want to give you some groups to check out. And what you have to do is just get dialed in with these guys' systems and the way that they communicate with legislators and just do it. A good group that I love is Sportsman's Alliance. I would say do whatever they say. It's just that simple. A new group that I really like so far, and they are brand new, is a group called Howl for Wildlife. They seem to be really streamlining the process of communication. There are many other groups that are fantastic. Hunter Nations, Safari Club International, and the list goes on, including a bunch of state agencies, which are essential that you be members of. Whichever group allows you to easily and consistently communicate, use them. You know, years ago and when I was a kid, talking about being a public land hunter wasn't cool. I mean, that's where everybody hunted, and it's kind of the place you didn't want to hunt. In the last 10 years, it's become cool to talk about and to hunt public land. Well, I can tell you the new thing that we're going to make cool is defending hunting. I love it that some people are calling into account social media influencers to use their voice in a positive way. (laughs) I mean... It's really a modern issue that we are going to have to deal with. And if we really love hunting, we will. And we'll joyfully unite our voices in in, in very productive, educated, classy ways. We'll say, hunting is good. Wildlife management in this country has worked. We are the good guys that love wildlife and want to see all species of wildlife thrive. We're the guys that are putting our money towards habitat conservation inside of a country where urban sprawl is just devouring habitat. We are the good guys, where an animal has cultural value through hunting, that animal and its habitat is protected. And lastly, the best thing that we can do to protect this lifestyle that we love is to clean the inside of our own cup and make sure that we're representing this lifestyle with honor and dignity in every aspect of our life. So right on, guys. Let's get to the render.
2: Speaking of boots, you caught Brent on a good day, and he's not wearing his flip flops. Wow, this nice. is the
0: first time Crocs
2: or flip flops, I think, is all I've ever seen Brent wear. Hmm.
1: Well, the last time we went out to the mule barn,
2: <laughs> he's squishing between your toes. Well, has. no, I just didn't
1: have oh, access to everything, so uh, I wore Yeah, this is the first these.
2: time I've seen Brent wear. This ain't the first time you see me wear boots. We've been all over the country together, Brent. Brent and you wear Crocs. Brent is not scared of coronavirus. He's just worried about getting worms. I'm, uh, yeah, <laughs> pinworms.
1: Wait just
4: a second. Did you? What, well, I'm
1: scared of getting them
5: again.
4: <laughs> Yuck! Yeah, did you forget beer boots? Whenever y'all went hunt, hunting at Bear Camp, what did y'all come back for?
0: He forgot his bow. Oh, I forgot my bow. Uh, your bow now. You bow. I
4: remember it was important. Yeah,
1: I would <laughs> have went barefooted, but I gotta hey, yeah. have the bow.
0: Welcome to the Bear Goose Render. Oh, we're um, doing that. We have we have some man. This is a big day at the Bear Goose Render. We have some real guests with us today, boys. Okay, <laughs>
2: I could so tell kinda, when I when you, I walked up and I saw you in your. Your dress clothes. Yeah, he don't stink.
4: It's <laughs> <laughs> clothes. So he in dress clothes and brent has got shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> well, a big day at the brent did podcast. Wear
0: faded overalls today. Hey, man, check he, out this zip tie. He has balance it. <laughs> Very nice. I hung that on a barbed wire fence.
4: Brynn has a zip tie in lieu of a button.
0: So I
1: zip tied them together.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. That's Beautiful. custom. Custom. Just custom one work of a kind. There. Yeah. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different today i'm gonna introduce my guests right off the bat oh
4: well they go first
0: well i just i don't i I just i'm just so excited i just just want people to know know who's in the room he's just gonna blurt it out at some point if he tries to introduce
4: it's true yeah yeah Yeah.
0: no usually i talk for 10 minutes before i introduce the mystery guest right austin booth that's right austin booth director (laughs) of the arkansas game of fish is with us awesome to have you man it's really good to be here thanks for coming to northwest arkansas thanks for having me austin has
4: excellent boots (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of, tell us tell us about these boots, Austin? So these are Danner lights. Uh I like them cuz they're very similar to what I wore in the Marine Corps for eight years. Mm. Super comfortable, can't tear them up, you can resole them. Really? And Santa
2: yeah. uh, apparently Santa brought them to you?
3: Santa Claus did indeed bring
0: them. Hey, let me tell you my problem with boots like this is I really like what you're doing here in that you're you're using them like like dress boots almost i mean like you know they look nice there's not a scuff on them but you're gonna you're gonna walk out of here and because you have those on you're gonna be like you're gonna like run across a ditch or you're gonna go do something and you're gonna scuff them up and then you've built you've built this this idea in your head that these are the boots i wear like these are like my church boots but then they're beat up in no time because they're not church boots it messes with my head okay? well, cuz i can't keep a pair of boots nice i mean it, it's a problem
1: i just heard you say your shoes make you do things
0: yeah they do and i they don't wear crocs. i got i got crocs for <laughs> i got crocs from my children
4: your kids listen to this podcast i
0: know and i love them i love my they children they were
4: inspired by you and
0: i will wear those Brent. crocs at different they times but i will not wear them when my family's honor is at stake. Well, let me tell you
6: no. something. I've never <laughs> seen them wear them. Uh, we're, we're are talking out. about like the fight? <laughs> that happen
0: often? <laughs> 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 are they Crocs? No, I, I firmly... Here, down hey, here listen, in Arkansas, okay. we
4: have we, Man, we an I'm ancient totally, civilization.
0: There was, you know, sometimes you're around someone and they say something that you're like, that's what I've been trying to say my whole life. And you just take it from them. Um, Ron Bain... The Hunting Dog Podcast, he says you should never not wear shoes that you couldn't protect your family in a volcano. Why
4: couldn't you? Wh- Pies, in a volcano. When have you, why is the volcano relevant?
0: Volcano is a metaphor. I mean, volcano. Ask the folks. If you're a pay. human.
4: I would like a, a, a metaphor human, that is, is more culturally relevant.
0: Well, I get it though. When you say that, it's like, yeah, you don't want to be wearing flip-flops. You want to be wearing these
4: steel toe i'm wearing boots. leather boots okay
0: so Austin, i like your boots that's all we're thank trying you. to say thank you That's <laughs> a really <laughs> I'm, I still backwards think they burn. way of saying wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs>
2: you're not
4: recording our, our this other Austin,
3: did other,
2: you anticipate this was going to start off this way
3: <laughs> i knew it was going to be something similar <laughs> yeah i did not know <laughs> anything about my boots but something meandering and humorous <laughs> what's no. clay wearing oh those are crops. Crops. photo evidence yeah those
1: are
0: no, now, are, those main okay. are those name brand or those mock oh, crocs? That was, that's crocs. A, that's, this, that's this kind of like count. the
4: paparazzi. Yeah, that like was a paparazzi
0: out. shot. So our other mystery guests that we're very honored to have: Luke Naylor, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission waterfowl biologist. Luke Correct. was on the Luke was on the the main Bear Grease podcast last week. Yep, I told I told him he carried the weight of it, <laughs> carried the weight of it. As it usual. good as usual. Yep, he did great. Now I still like, stand by my analogy that you being the lead guy for the Arkansas Gaming Fish Commission, lead waterfowl guy in the duck hunting capital of the world, he is essentially like I said, Steph Curry of the I think Golden it's State Warriors.
4: Mm-hmm. It's appropriate. Yeah,
6: mm-hmm. um, yeah. My jump shot's not that good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> can't quite. I don't think that's gonna work. I, I'm surprised. Your shoes are acceptable. You, you, you would have caught me. <laughs> Typically, I'm about the only guy showing up on a, on a WMA to change in and out of hunting boots and wearing my Chaco sandals. That's pretty much okay, how so I you drive to and from a hunting location. So yeah. I am I got problems in like a volcano, it. I guess. Uh, yeah. But, but it works out. You got all kinds of problems if you're wearing Chacos. I'm a, well, I'm I'm a big fan
4: of Chacos. I, I mean, Lots they're basically the only well, shoes that I've worn. <laughs> hey, Clay. <laughs> I think there's something <laughs> that
3: we need to get out of the way with Luke. Okay. About a certain object that falls from trees. Mm. Uh-oh. It's true.
0: Yeah, I wanted to make a public apology to all my listeners from the South about the way Luke pronounced the word acorn. Acorn. You and know it- what? <laughs> now, stop yeah. right there.
1: I listened to it twice. One time on the way up here, and the only thing I could get over was you
2: saying pronounce
1: it. <laughs> pronounce again. It- I, know,
4: it- I knew it would come up. I knew it would it come was up. there. I didn't hear Luke gonna say that. We're going to give Luke a pass. I don't,
2: you know, I honestly didn't remember him saying it either. He did.
6: He's uh, dead, uh, in the truck too on the way here. Yeah, why Where did, are you? Why from? you I'm getting a lot of really.
5: tough <laughs> 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 Kansas. You're from tough, Kansas. Blares <laughs> right now. Kansas, I am, right?
6: Uh, yes, I'm a native Kansan. They don't <laughs> even have. We don't trees have trees. Yeah, the state tree is a cottonwood. They get some. I thought it was a telephone pole. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much is. So yeah. There's there's a few acorn bearing trees in kansas but uh, not near the number there are down here so yeah
4: just have some respect for where you're at just go ahead and call him acorn the <laughs> the uh, well, he's, he's good he's in the 80 percent be
6: true to yourself <laughs> he's well, you kind of got to go I've, I've been here for a while and i can kind of you just got to kind of read the room yeah and if it's particularly hostile you go with acorn <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just just avoid yeah. the the subject altogether
0: yeah yeah um, yeah well, no, present company accepted. You, you, you gave us some great knowledge on the podcast. So, who I else have on my notes gonna, here? Are you going to introduce the rest of us? Yes. I was going to say so, the, the the regular crew that's here to my right, Misty Newcomb. Great to have you, Misty. Always good to you. Did you guys here. know that most of the comments we get about the Bear Grease Render are about Misty?
2: Yeah, because she's better than us.
0: Yeah, very much so. Brent Reeves. Great to see you, Brent.
2: Great
1: to be seen.
0: Josh Spillmaker. Here. I'm glad to hey, be here. Hey, Daniel Roop couldn't be here. His mustache is excellent. <laughs> I have that in my notes. What did you guys think? I, uh, first thing I it? thought of was Catfish Hunter.
4: Should we possibly give so some I, context for why we're talking about Dan's mustache? Go ahead. Well, he he post We we would not out this information because we follow HIPAA guidelines here at the Bear Grease Podcast.
1: I've got rabies. <laughs> <laughs>
4: We mm. probably should talk about that <laughs> <later>.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: Well,
0: Dan just couldn't be here. Yeah. So last week, Daniel saw my mustache. And Daniel- is that, has, Was that the inspiration? Uh, uh, no doubt. No, I mean, it's not really debatable. Has he seen you? It is. It is. A, I have
2: to say, it's the most fake-looking
0: real mustache I've ever <laughs> yeah, seen. Daniel, go to his page. Yes. You'll it's see true. it. It looks great. It's fantastic. So Daniel couldn't be here. And then unfortunately Gary Newcomb couldn't be here. That's very unfortunate. Yeah, dad couldn't be here either. So uh, so we've got a He's we've got, got, got a great with crew the though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Subtle for <laughs> us. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Get in line. Um hey, while we're while we're taking care of some business here, I want to two two, th- two meat eater related things. So eater eater's coming out with a whole big waterfowl deal. You can go to the mediator.com forward slash waterfowl and see all the stuff that they're doing. So one of my guests who on the podcast was Sean Weaver, who is meat eaters, waterfowl guru. Sean is a cool guy. Sean's 28 years old. He puts 70,000 miles a year on a truck, which is true and has for like the last 10 years. And he, he travels all over the country and is just a genuine good guy. And, uh, so he, he came here and I interviewed him and, I thought he was so good on the podcast because he wasn't from Arkansas. Everybody else was from Arkansas, including me. And so we were establishing that Arkansas is the duck hunting capital of the world. And I was kind of playing the, why is it? I don't understand. And Sean, to me, kind of sealed the deal. Cause he, he's got no stock in Arkansas and his, I liked, I liked what he said about, he just kind of gave an outsider's look into Arkansas. I say that to say, Meteor's coming out with a new series called Duck Lore. Oh, cool. And it's Sean traveling all over the country hunting with people. Nice. And so That'll it's be pretty awesome. cool. And one of the episodes will be in Arkansas. Good. Maybe, maybe, maybe not with me. If there's
2: not an episode in Arkansas, we got big
3: problems. Concur. Because <laughs> this, this, is, this is the duck, duck hunting country. capital of the world. That's right. So you, you can
0: go to themeteor.com forward slash waterfowl. And you can see First Light has a new waterfowl waterfowl gear system coming out. And you can sign up for our newsletter. That is, uh, that's good. The only other thing on my meat eater agenda is uh, how many of you guys know Spencer Newharth? Yep. Yeah. You, you, you probably don't know Spencer know Newharth. Spencer. I know okay. of him. Okay. Our guest here, Spencer Newharth, works at Meat Eater. He's a he's, seven days he's November our of November fame hunting editorial guy.
2: Got a good, good beard, friend also. Of mine.
0: Yes. I had a dream the other night, <laughs> and I remember nothing about the dream other than that Spencer Newharth walks past me. And I call him Beechnut. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and you're going to make this public What's for hey, Beach Nut. You're going to release this on the. You podcast. you like, "Hey,
0: Beechnut"? I just remember addressing him very seriously, like Mister Beechnut. Beechnut, come here. You know something. Right. So I just am doing my part in. Uh, to just make sure that that's what everybody calls him.
2: I think that's a moniker that. Pretty sure a-
0: Steve Ranell yeah. is on this wagon too, as is everybody else at Meat Eater. So, Beach uh, Nut. Yeah, we really like, we really that's appreciate weird. what he does for us. Okay, moving right along. Moving. Right, it was weird. It was very weird, okay? That's why I've made it a point. I, you know, made it a point to make this very public. Okay, moving right along. I almost lost my eye yesterday. Yeah, I was I feel hearing like that story. I feel like I had to. I yeah, rode I with these the guys for like 20 minutes before I told them that I wasn't like, you know, like either blind, sick, blind one eye. Yeah. either, you know, Clay's got pink eye
3: or Clay is
4: You do kind of look well. like you have pink eye. Yeah. yeah
3: That's my first thought. <laughs> Great. Like, Great. It's like, because I've got small kids. <laughs> when you yeah. when you've kids my age, like, oh, if your eye's red, you just assume somebody's got pink eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't want
0: it to be the first thing I said to you guys. Um, no. So yesterday... I had two of my buddies from Oklahoma come up here. Um Alan Grigg and Brian Ringles.
4: Very nice. Yes. Very nice guys.
0: They 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 are really good guys. They ride horses. They wanted to come up and squirrel hunt on their horses, me on the mule. And we hunted yesterday and at about eleven o'clock yesterday. I was riding to a tree. So when you when you're squirrel hunting on mules, Part of the deal is that you can get to the tree quick. So, the dog's tree and the squirrel, especially this time of year, they're going in dens really quickly, usually. So, the quicker you can get there, the better. And going to a tree, and I mean, just like we've done for lots of miles riding through thick forest, you just kind of put up your arms and just go, and stuff's brushing across you. And, you know, and I just took a stick. I, you know, I didn't see it happen. I don't know how big it was, but strange, it took, was in
1: your eye and you didn't see it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> took a stick in my right eye, and uh, for a minute there, I I really thought I'm going to open this eye and I'm going to see black. You know, I was envisioning what I'd look like with a glass eye, <laughs> and like what what I was going to put uh, in put the glass a bear eye. track. Right, that's actually a bear I, track, I, track like a bear, right in the middle.
4: I wish I would have thought about that because I was just. Picturing because you wouldn't around have everywhere. taken him to the hospital. No, I was picturing walking around with him with a patch. I patch. also had visions, and I in and, because and, Clay is so descriptive in text message. I'm I'm shaking my head no. He's like had issue with my eye, heading to the doctor. May need to may need a ride. <laughs> and my response is on a scale of one to ten, with ten being blindness. Where are we at? <laughs> And that what did
2: he text back?
4: He didn't text back.
0: <laughs> he <laughs> he didn't, never saw. I mean, We
4: call, We talked on the phone. I we gave talked, you a number. You didn't. On the phone, you did. But it, when I talked to him on the phone, I was a little concerned, to be honest, because you can usually hear it in Clay's voice that everything's all right. Right. And it's usually a good story or whatever. And I couldn't hear that when I when I I, I just got on the phone. It was like, well, I mean, it might be hard for him to text if, in fact, we are at, right. in blindness. Right. <laughs> and so uh, so I just picked up the phone and called him and said, what's what's going on? And I, I I, could tell he wasn't quite sure.
0: Well, it, it eye I was injuries hurt like heck. And at first I just thought it would just kind of go away, and so we just kept hunting, <clears throat> kept hunting, and I just kind of was squinting, and it was watering. And about four hours later, it was worse than when it happened, you know. And so we had to call off the hunt, and I just was like, man, I, I can't even see out of either eye because when you squinch up this eye so hard, it, this eye started watering too, and you just it it was uh it was pretty painful. Went to the eye doctor, and I took off a chunk out of my cornea. Yeah. Nice. And uh, that makes me hungry. <laughs> it. He said it makes- <laughs> he said if it had been two millimeters further, as I'm sitting right now to the west. Yeah. Uh, he said it would have caused permanent damage if if you if that happens on your pupil, like it's basically. I mean, from what I could tell, like not no fixable. Good. Yeah. But it's no big deal. I Will mean, it grow back? It's, it's almost already healed.
4: Isn't that crazy?
0: That's crazy. But if I hadn't gone to the doctor, he said what happens is it's, when you get an eye injury, it, abra- it abrades your eye, uh-huh. and then when you blink it tears the scab off your every eye every time you blink like your so, so what do they do take a Dremel and they put a they put them. a contact lens like a medicated contact lens over it interesting and then full of ivermectin so
4: that when it was like it- <laughs> but
0: but yeah <laughs> to get rid of the worms no, it <laughs> but it Brent stays on ivermectin <laughs> for a <pika>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, your eye heals very quickly. And I'm serious. Like right now I, I I feel perfectly fine. That's crazy. And yesterday I could hardly see out of it. So yeah. Miracles Blindness. of modern science, folks. Well, what my buddy Alvin said is, is he said we take for granted how often stuff just goes normal. Yeah. Like you go you go squirrel hunting and you don't get hurt and you come home yeah. and you just think that's normal. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? yeah. It's like no, so Anyway. Lost another tooth today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Austin, man, you. Uh, so you've, you've been at the Game and Fish now since July? July 1st. July 1st. So yes, sir. So a little over six months. That's right. So give us a little, uh, th- the walkthrough of your career and kind <laughs> of where you've been and how you got here.
3: Grew up in a small town in Lone Oak County, uh, left in 2004 to go to college. Uh, dad was an engine builder. Mom became a nurse after she put her kids through college. But anyways, uh, went to college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Then, uh, went to law school at the university of South Carolina. Okay. And, uh, then took. So start taking notes here. He's a lawyer. Okay. That's one
0: finger. Check.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Then took a commission in the United States Marine Corps in 2010. He's Marine. Number two. Check. And served on active duty in the Marine Corps for eight years. Um, got out in 2019, came home, was the chief of staff for the Arkansas Department of Veterans Affairs. Okay. Did that for about 18 months. And then I started at, at Game and Fish in July. Wow.
0: Okay. So in the Marines, you were a lawyer for the Marines?
3: Yes. Yeah. Really? So my first three years, I did nothing but basically prosecute cases.
5: Oh, what, what kind of
3: cases? (laughs) I mean, like what, what, I don't
0: understand why. The I mean are the Marines defending themselves? Yeah, so or is it is it stuff that happens court. inside the Marines?
3: Well, so the Marine Corps is a a cross section of society, right? So it's a very interesting cross section of <laughs> of society. Um but we have Marines that, that that break the law and uh Are you serious? Yes, actually. <laughs> yes. And uh in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, <clears throat> We have the Uniform Code of Military Justice, uh, which 80% of it uh, is very similar to what we would see in civilian jurisdictions, uh, but we hold them accountable. And uh, there's a Marine Corps jury, Marine Corps judge, Marine Corps prosecutor, okay. Marine Corps defense counsel. And uh, uh, it's very similar to what you would see out in town. Okay. So there, it's like its own internal- Own criminal justice system. Wow. Yeah. So
0: you were just prosecuting just regular stuff. It wasn't like you name it all over the place. Okay. Yep. For nine years. Is Uh, the
4: jury selected at random like they are except for within a smaller? Yes. Uh,
3: Now, mostly at random, um, there's some guidelines on if you're a certain rank you know okay. there can't be anybody of junior rank on 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 the panel
4: oh okay um
3: and there has to be a certain officer to enlisted ratio so we can't just reach to hat and okay. pull people out um wow but then we we get this big panel and then we go through the vodire process where each side you know tries to kick people off if they think they'll be unfair wow. interesting uh but that's very similar to, to what happens out in town so yeah. i did that for three years uh and then went to afghanistan uh, did some operational stuff over there and then came back and and went to the Hill for three years. So
0: in Afghanistan, you were like on the ground.
3: I was on the ground still as a lawyer, uh, but doing what we call operational law, which is, I mean, use of force, drone strikes, rules of engagement, you know, vetting, targeting packages, stuff like that. Wow. And then, okay, so... And I tried to get out of the Marine Corps after Afghanistan, but uh, that really just wasn't a marketable skill to law firms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 It yeah. seems like it would be. That's all right. And, and uh, you're you're married and have three kids? Married and have three kids. Excellent. Eight, awesome, five, man. and three. And, uh, hey, I just want to say this because this was news to me. The director of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, that position is is a hired position. It's not an appointed position. And that's right. I, that's, that's good intel to know. I mean, because for someone who's lived in this state his whole life, I could not have told you that. Mm -hmm. I thought, I knew that the commission was governor appointed appointed. by governor. Right. And I just you know, kind of lumped all the leadership together in some way. But the director of the agency, I mean, you you applied for the job and got
3: hired. That's right. That's good. And and when we were doing our GTR public meetings, I don't want to spoil anything, but someone would always ask me, they were like, so, you're 35 years old. How exactly did you get to be the director of the Arkansas Game of Fish? <laughs> and uh, I was telling them the same thing. I said, do you really want to know? They're like, yeah, of course. Give us the in- the inside. Yeah. And I tell them, I'm like, I went online. <laughs> <laughs> I Googled the headhunter. I found his website, and I sent him my cover letter and my resume. And they said, well, did you know any of the commissioners? I was like, "Yeah, I knew one, and we had lunch." Bear was his inroad, and we had lunch, and he, he told me not to apply. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's hired, hired. That's great, man. So, Austin, did you grow up hunting? I did mostly duck hunting, a little bit of deer hunting, but mostly wing shooting, dove and ducks. Hunting uh, public land in Arkansas mainly. Public land in Arkansas. We had it, you know. We had some leases every now and then if we could find them, and oh uh, yeah.
4: Let me ask something, Brent. You're not a hillbilly. You are a flatlander so is austin also a flatlander he yes is a okay it's helpful i just oh. i just think hey. it's helpful to categorize so that you know. just so you
1: know if you call me a hillbilly or him a hillbilly now that there's two of us here uh-huh. you better have the right shoes on
5: <laughs> crocs
1: uh. i've had to threaten him to quit calling me a hillbilly
5: because
4: mm. clay throws it's the, the term part, around right. kind of loosely yeah
0: yeah now, Luke, we we got into uh, a little bit of your history on the main podcast, but you've been with the Game and Fish since 2006.
6: Correct. Yep. About uh, 15 years. You went, where'd you go to school? I went to undergrad at Kansas State and then graduate school at the uh, University of California at Davis. Oh, yeah. So, spent some time out there. So, yeah, grew up in Kansas and just uh, my wife and I went west for graduate school for a few years and then decided to come back east as the California people say once you cross, cross the Sierra Nevada <laughs> you're back east okay. <laughs> east of Reno is back east <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so anywhere out here
0: you know that's I, I like what you said there because directional descriptors are totally based on your perception of where you're at because yeah. Austin was asking me about Gerstocker a minute ago he saw a painting that we had hanging that was a guy fighting a bear with a knife in Crocs He was not wearing Crocs. (laughs) And uh, so the book that that story is in is called Wild Sports in the Far West, right here. Yeah. There was a time when Arkansas was the far West. Oh, yeah. That is neither here nor there. But so you, man, Luke was hunting public land this morning when you got the invite to come here. I was.
6: Nice. So I was driving back from a little morning in Biomeda.
0: How how much do you think uh, participation inside of? The places that you're regulating helps you manage a lot like, totally. I, I
6: don't know how much i don't know how you could do this job if you if you don't spend time in those places i, I have the opportunity to speak to some college courses you know uh, wildlife classes conservation classes whatever the, the name may be and i've kind of got a standard presentation i give and tweak from year to year and that's been some of my i've been kind of hanging on that advice the last few times when i talked to students i said you gotta i think i or to something? you, you got to walk where you want to work and mm. yeah. and i've <clears throat> I, that was instilled in me early on i was a public land hunter uh growing up in kansas a uh, lot of a lot of duck hunting uh, quail and pheasant of course had, had some had an uncle that had a farm for years out west wichita and and had some awesome opportunities there with family over the years but but 90 public land and uh and that just instills a totally different perspective and i, I don't know how i could relate to anyone else, do anything have any credibility really? With all the stuff we're talking right. about with GTRs, if I didn't actually live it myself, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I like to just get out, and I went out and just took a walk in the woods by myself this morning, and uh, may may go out tomorrow morning with some friends. Uh, we'll see, but uh, you know, kind of it's uh, refreshing to do that at least once, kind of by myself every year, and just go kind of wander around, and uh, there's no no pressure. Uh, No strings attached to anything. Just go out and and see what's going on. Yeah.
0: Again, coming into this topic and this world, not knowing a lot about it, which is to me interesting that you can live in a state like Arkansas and be as active in the hunting space as a bunch of us are over here and know nothing about duck hunting. But when you told me that you didn't, you know, everybody hunts private land sometimes, but you were like, man, I pretty much hunt public land in Arkansas. And, yeah. I mean, you're you're the guy making, a, putting a lot of your fingerprints on what's going on around here. I, I, I just thought that that did give you a lot of credibility, you know.
6: Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, you got to walk a mile in the shoes, right? So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or I guess most people don't walk like I do. But a lot of people, are, maybe gotta, a boat, something like a, that. Put a I,
0: mile in another man's I, Crocs. I, yeah, <laughs> well, right,
6: right. Yeah, I, I might as well have been in Croc today. My, my, my waders were leaking, so it wouldn't have made no difference, uh. but. But yeah, it's, you get, you got to get out there and experience it just like, like other folks do. I do it. It's been turkey hunting here, deer hunting here, you know, it's all public land. Yeah. And, uh, sure. I, I'm i not afraid to, to, to go out and ask permission to snow goose hunt or, or go out and, and somebody invites me to a place. I'll do that. But that's a, that's a couple of times a year versus to all the other trip compared to all the other trips I do uh, on public land. So yeah. Keeps you, uh, keeps you kind of grounded. On uh, what's really going on out there. Sure. yeah uh, a little more connected.
4: How feasible is it really to hunt ducks and all that in, in, on public land in Arkansas? Very. Very.
6: It, it is most people, I guess I'll start out by putting in perspective from somebody outside Arkansas. Uh-huh. Most folks coming from outside Arkansas come here and have a duck hunt. Mm-hmm. And we've got uh, about 45,000 people every year come from out of state to hunt ducks in Arkansas. And about of those are on private land, but about 15% on public land. Invariably, those folks that come from out of state to duck hunt on public land, typically, and I've talked to a bunch of them over the years, that one day in Arkansas, they will see more ducks than they see in an entire season of hunting ducks somewhere else. Big Mm -hmm. states for us out of state hunters are are Georgia, South Carolina, um, Tennessee, of course, coming across in Memphis a lot, but it's, it's to a person. They say that this is, I mean, one day in the woods here really? when the water's in and this time of year and they'll see more ducks and they'll see, uh, in a couple seasons sometimes. Really? So it's just different. The, the intensity here is extremely high.
5: Okay. The pressure is, yeah. is
6: high. You can't, you can't ignore it and, you know, pretend like it's some sort of a wilderness experience to go duck hunting on public land <laughs> okay. in Arkansas. Okay. Cause you're not typically going to find a lot of solitude. I found relative solitude this morning, which means there's somebody, I think Clay was asking me how close somebody was and you know, a few hundred yards and you can barely hear their duck call. That's, that's kind of solitude in public land in in Arkansas. Um, but it works. And, and I think it's, the folks can take off, um, where I'm hunting. you, You just get a pair of cheap hip boots and a duck call and go walking. I didn't even have a decoy with me today really and yeah you just walk in and kind of the old timer way of doing things you just kick the water ducks key in on that the, the being in the woods ducks really key in on the the moving water the splashes and, and the sound mm. the, the call so they're kind of hardwired to look for that did
2: you mm. take any ducks this morning
6: i talked to i shot two two ducks i should the two that, that came in and and did it did it right like i like to shoot them so they mallards? had to be be fully committed. Yeah. yeah.
2: Were they mallards?
6: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, they, they were great. Well, they said he said killed ducks, so they that must a, be mallards. They that's were, what they, that's what right. They that's synonymous in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> hey, compare <laughs>
1: compare this right here. What he's talking about doing on public land. How many vehicles
6: were in the parking lot this morning? There's usually this when it's like it is now. There'll be fifty to seventy five, sometimes over a hundred, at our major access points. Okay, and that's on, and in the area you were hunting by me mm-hmm. I assume. It's probably 20,000 acres of water right now because we're on a major flood. 20,000 acres,
1: 50 to 70 vehicles. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Yep. What would you do if you, you pulled spend, up? You can put six hillbillies in what one if, in truck. What <laughs> would you do if you pulled up to a trailhead in Montana where well, there was a million acres in front of you and there was 50 vehicles there?
0: <laughs> You'd go somewhere You'd else. you turn around and go yeah. back home. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you can do that here. Mm-hmm. Now, wow. That's pretty cool. Why? The question, Why? Because you can do just like what what Luke did, you can get 250 yards away from
0: somebody. You can, hunt tight, and you little can bit and you can do that. i still be successful. Absolutely, you can. And yep.
1: that's just that's a big difference. And I just thought about how different that was than if you and I had pulled up somewhere with a trailhead that had 50 vehicles that we wouldn't even stop. Yeah, we'd just yeah. keep going. And he and we would be walking, and he was walking. Yeah, I, I don't know, a much smaller area and he had a space to do it
0: brent tell us about your duck hunting history i mean um, you used my, to be a god
1: mm, my brother and i guided for the better probably 26 years i guess i think that's what i figured it up and i had been i've been hunting i killed my first greenhead when i was 12 i think and i can remember it just like it happened this morning and 12 years of when I was twelve, that was a few years ago.
0: Nineteen thirty.
1: Yeah, it was right after the Great War, and uh, Spanish American. Yeah, yeah, that's where I learned to speak Spanish. I got caught, but we we gathered at Raydale. We had a camp. We bought a camp over at Raydale, right on the Arkansas River. We were ten minutes from Buckingham Flats, which is
0: now. Can we? Why can we talk about all this public land and not? And it's okay to be specific
1: world i mean it, it just is i mean that's it
0: but i mean it's a, it's a serious question because well, I can don't you, guess can, I understand. can what? we so like secretive if you about. typically oh. we don't use names of stuff
1: well in biomita i mean if you're duck hunting on public land in arkansas in that part of arkansas it's biomita right or if you're if it's northeast arkansas it's black river or black swamp or you know so we're,
0: we're comfortable saying that
1: it by me. That's just a serious yeah. question. Yeah, by I me. Mean, by me If
0: you ever talk about the places I hunt, this I'm category, going to tell it right now. It's over.
6: I'm going to quit pointing your finger at me. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> <it. laughs> yeah, if y'all would ask me like a, a name of a road or a or a nearest town where I turkey hunt, <laughs> I'd stone face. Like, yeah, 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 not, yeah, I don't yeah, know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. I'm not no, telling no, that. you that. One,
0: two, what? three, any street. This and you've already gone too far already with me. <laughs> I don't We'd say hunt. just I turkey hunt in the. Eastern Deciduous Forest. This right. photograph
1: I, that I brought, my son wanted to come to a render, but he couldn't come today. He was 12, I think, mm. when I took this picture. This was on the blue line in Yep. Yeah. Luke may have heard of that that's where. It was, okay, uh, now there's some awesome. Awesome. where Luke hunts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Is, that, yep. is that a joke? Luke was standing right there. No, it, is, uh, it was is that Luke today. in the background? No. <laughs> no.
6: No, I don't think I was lurking back there. That's
1: my brother back there. But uh, we had this dog for 13 years that, that, that's in this photograph with him. But that that photograph says so much to me, and one reason I brought it today, to show it was just for y'all to look at, was this was on the last podcast you talked about driving by Luke. You talked about your dad said he drove by in every other house had a black dog and a in a boat in the driveway. Well, that was this was my life right here for almost thirty years. Mm. It was uh, we I deer hunted some for something to do until duck season opened up. I mean, that and that mm-hmm. that whole community of people that I was around, that's what they did. Everything else was just to keep you out of jail long enough for duck season to open up. And then yeah. for the next however, 60, 70, 90 days, whatever it was going to be, that's what we did every day. And it was the hardest job I ever had outside of law enforcement, the hardest thing I ever done and the most fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I made the best friends. And you talked about people coming from out of state. We had clients from all over that hunted with us, from Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. Like the big vast majority of them come from there. And we, I remember one day we took a guy from Pitts, from Pennsylvania, from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We took him into Buckingham Flats, and we went in there, and nine thirty, ten o'clock ducks just shut off it was over with and we liked there was probably four or five of us in there I'd say there was four of us in there and we liked like two ducks having a limit for everybody so we start picking up decoys and we're walking out and the guys he's passed away now but the guy from from Pennsylvania was walking right beside me and I said Mr. Roberts I'm I'm sorry it wasn't any better than it was today and he said what I said I'm sorry it wasn't any better than that because normally." 10 o'clock, you're waking up from a nap, getting ready to get something to because you've already limited out several hours before. And he reached and grabbed me by the collar of my shirt <laughs> and turned me around. I thought he was fixing to hit me. He said, boy, <laughs> you don't realize what y'all have here. He said, I saw more ducks this morning than I have killed, than I have seen in two years at home.
4: Wow.
1: He said, and I killed more ducks this morning than I have over the last two years at home. He Said that you got something special here, and it. I never, I, and I would say that up until that point, I would always apologize to clients if we didn't kill a full limit. Mm-hmm. I never said it again after that because mm-hmm. he was right,
5: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And it was this would have been '98 or '99,
5: mm-hmm.
1: and it was you could go and you could put 250, 300. Ducks in a in a hole in in the woods, right on top of you. I had them so close, they were blowing that their wing tips to touch you on the arm. My brother caught a mallard. Hen one time, you better
0: not say that the director's here. Oh, they
1: go—they're gonna, they're gonna have to catch him. <laughs> he let him go. He—he <laughs> he caught a mallard hen come in. I thought
0: you were gonna say my brother once killed a duck. Him addle, addle. <laughs> no,
1: just fluttering by, looking for a place to light, and he reached out and grabbed it by the neck, and he said, "Oh wow!" It went—that duck went up his arm like a roasting ear. <laughs> he said that he was clawing and biting, <laughs> and he turned it loose. He wow. said, "But it was—I mean, you just get them in that close, and that's not
0: How, what's the most you ever." Just estimated, and we know your estimation is going to be thirty percent higher than the truth.
5: Well,
1: I'll take How, thirty. What's
0: the What's the most you think ever landed in a set of decoys, in, or, or came, you know, came in?
1: In Buckingham Flats, we had two guys from Memphis. We went in there on a Tuesday morning, and they we coon hunters? were we were the only folks in there. We had there was one vehicle in that parking lot on a Tuesday morning. This, was in about 1994, 93 or ninety four. And if it was one duck, it was seven, eight hundred. I was going to say a thousand, but you wasn't going to believe it. So, <laughs> so he, he already did the reduction. Yeah, yeah, at least a hundred. You know, started, like, started working ducks and, and 50 ducks became I, can, I
0: don't even know 100. really what 800 ducks would look
6: like. Uh, Luke,
0: have you ever experienced anything uh, like that? Most
6: people don't. No, but yeah, not to that scale, but um, been fortunate. i been on some good hunts with some good friends and and see that start to happen. It's strange what what happens there. It's something so fascinating about hunting in the timber that it it does. It, it, as Brent started to describe, they kind of just they come from it, everywhere. It, it, I mean, there's just this cascade effect, or where they start coming. And I watched a few of them do it this morning. And I was about ready to leave, and a few ducks came in. They finally just found a spot and they broke through the trees away from me and away from this other group. Just, just kind of started settling in, and half a dozen of them started it, and and really all it takes is a few to start the train, right? And I mean, just in, a, just quickly, there's probably sixty, seventy ducks just pulled right in behind yes. them. So if there's enough ducks around, it, it can build into the hundreds like that. If the key is being patient enough to let it happen.
1: And they started lighting like a hundred yards away.
6: Oh, okay, and they kind of, and they built just,
1: it. and it was just like a rolling right. carpet. They just wow. started just rolling
0: right. Have you ever seen anything right like, like that, like Austin?
3: That. Sure. Yeah. Big, big groups like that? Yep. All right. hunting, hunting the White River Bottoms one time. <clears throat> and we had a group of six guys. And one group came in about three minutes after shooting time. And we limited out in one, in one, one volley, one group of ducks. Yeah. That's
0: nice. Now, how would that be? Would you have, you'd had to have reloaded? No. <laughs> but how would you limit out? I mean, I'm not a game warden or anything, but if you only got three shells and the limit's four, how do you limit out?
3: Because the ducks are that close and there's that many.
0: Oh, for together. real. Yeah. Wow. yeah,
6: sometimes if it gets right, you got to be careful. One of, the, one of the first times I had. <laughs> yeah. I'm I had no my
0: mathematician, th- but. Uh, you better oh, be. <laughs> I had my dad
6: down here one of the first times. We were in government Cyprus several years back, 10 plus years ago, and and uh, they finally started coming in. They, they they did it. They broke through, and and if things are going right and I am sound kind of, Arrogant, I guess, but if you're shooting them right, which means they're down inside the trees, they're not Mm flying, skimming the treetops and all that. Yeah, you know, each his own. That 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 it's (laughs) it's legal to make your own make your own decisions, but um, really shooting a secondary like if if ducks are doing it right in the woods, shooting them is kind of an afterthought because it gets to the point where they're they're in so close and and there's there can be so many of them and they they really um, they're I mean they're acrobats. But getting that many ducks up out of the woods and out of gun range, uh, a, a man can operate a gun much quicker than they can get out. Yeah, really. It, it really once it happens like that, um, yeah, it really is. You're kind of like, well, okay, I guess we're gonna shoot them now. You start at
1: the top, and you, yeah, and you work as they come up. You just keep working the ducks. Now up.
0: that's after they've landed. Yeah, and after, they're after
1: they come back in, up. When the shooting starts, you start high, and then the duck as they work up, you take them are going out it could be okay. the ducks
6: that are still coming in talking about that train starting you know and a bunch of them on the water they're just going to keep coming you shoot yep. the ones here and the other ones get up and you're just basically bang 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 it's a and safety thing too it is you know? yeah they're easy shots to as far as shooting mm. yep you talk y'all think y'all shot
1: 20 gauges mm-hmm. yeah, that was my guide gun was an over and under 20
0: really mm-hmm. wow so do you like as a duck hunter if when you're thinking about your duck hunting career, is that like uh is that like killing a ten point buck limit out and you know limiting out in one minute
3: so at how does that how yeah. does it give me a scale here Luke and I were talking about that on the way up here. I think I'm in the minority here, but I would much rather kill a few ducks short of my limit but have a longer hunt I mean okay i love being able to see those those blue notches on their wings in the sunlight and i love being able to see that green that neon emerald green head in the sunlight uh sure it's awesome to limit out really quickly but i would much rather you know string that over a few hours
0: yeah
6: that makes yeah. sense well, I, I'm the same way yeah yeah it's it, it's really it's about seeing them yeah if i can shoot some ducks great but i I know if I've shot some ducks, that means I saw a lot of ducks. Yeah. And I had a lot of ducks close. That's way more important at the end of the day. Seeing them yeah. and talking to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That communication you have through calling. Yeah. We always told... Let me told shush plant, this down. Home. Yeah. Hey! Hi! Uh-
0: Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding clover extreme genetic stability provides extreme cold tolerance disease and drought tolerance it really does clover is coated with whitetail institute's rain bond a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability they have an exclusive offer for bear grease listeners 15% off Imperial Clover, when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com, and use code BEAR for 15% off. The old-timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there, and we are there in the South. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring.
1: We would tell clients we can get this over with. Quick, you know, at one point there was a point system where you know males and females, drakes and hens, were a different point value, and you went up to a hundred, and hens were a hundred. If you killed a hen, whoever killed that hen, that was their limit. So we would t- during oh, that, really? uh uh-huh, during that time, and even after, you know, if we got close on if there was close on hens, you know, we'd say no, you know, we're shutting it down before we got a, a limit because we weren't going to walk out of there over yeah. the limit of, a ducks. So I would we would always tell them now, boys. We can get this done quick, or we can sit here and let the sun come up and we can shoot the boy ducks, you know, and and see a, a show from mm. that time on. And everybody, to a man, was yeah. We want to we want to stay here and we want to watch it
0: because it is a show. And so then you try you try to, to, you try to mm. shoot the Drake Mallards.
1: Just pick out the boys.
0: Yeah, boy, that's harder to it's harder not, to
1: do. It's not every band I ever killed I, except for one. I saw it on the duck's leg when I shot him.
0: We're we're kind of different duck hunters, you know? I'm well, kind there, of here's a, the deal. Look, correct
1: me. Austin, tell me there's a difference between a man that hunts ducks and a duck hunter.
6: Am I right? <laughs> That's true.
5: Well, right. In all my experience. Yeah, yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah you got to be careful how far you take that yeah. right. Right. before right. you offend somebody unnecessarily. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, clay. I ain't worried about offending Clay.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I'm a pretty serious duck hunter, and uh, I pretty much just hunt, you know, the timber. But they, these <laughs> guys, <laughs> will tell
1: right. you, it's amazing what you can see if you just look. You know, it was always, and we would tell new hunters, you know, pick out one duck. There's going to be 50, yeah. there may be 50 yep. come in, but you can't shoot them all. you got to find one. And then being guides, we would always let the clients shoot first, start shooting. You know, they get their chance, and we'd shoot ours, and then...
0: How, does, how does that work? And I'm not I'm not saying that's bad, but why does the guide get to shoot?
1: Why does he get to shoot? Yeah. Well, I'm out there hunting too. I like to shoot them. But and there, it, and there was I guess in wing
0: in a wing, you're not taking away anything from anybody by the no. guy because usually in a guided situation the guide's not hunting too. But it, that's common practice. Is sure, that, it, would yeah, you say that's pretty it, common? It it is. Is? Yeah, and and yeah, there was and a lot. And it gives of, you an extra limit
1: for the picture. Bingo.
0: Okay. It, it, gotcha so gives you an extra limit yes yeah, yeah. you're taking
6: hey, novice hunters too it's nice to have i took some out just last week and i i had my gun with me no intention of shooting first mm-hmm. at all but you know had to go um cripple goes off something you gotta yeah you gotta should. have somebody experienced that, that right. kind of knows how to take care of things and uh you're hunting with novices and you got a dog for example you tell everybody that hey once that dog's out everybody else puts
4: but you're going their, going nobody right. else
6: shoots like I'm, I'm gonna shoot because i know what the dog's doing so it's important a lot of times to have a guide or have a the more knowledgeable yep. hunter more experienced hunter to be to be ready to help out with some, some situations like that and, and yeah has a few more ducks for the picture too
0: right yeah a few right. more ducks for the picture put all the mallards up front um <laughs> right.
4: do you feel like this is all inside baseball josh
2: no i have intentionally never duck hunted that's on purpose on purpose because I have a bit of an obsessive personality, <laughs> and I know that first. I, I see, I I love to fly fish. I mean, I get obsessed with fly fishing. Actually, tell you guys, I got my first trout fishing. Guide gig this weekend. Good for you. Oh, guiding wow. for some guys. Good for I you. I bought really? my guide license. All twenty five dollars. All twenty five dollars. <laughs> my <laughs> guide license. Yeah. But, Everybody's really so clarifying I, how they I'm follow their yeah, license. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> I'm obsessive about gear and about fly fishing and tying and all that kind of stuff. I know the first time I go duck hunting, it's gonna be. You're like, gonna like. I'm it. doing this. It seems same. like something you My brother in law mm. loves my brother in law Scott Anderson. Duck hunts over in in around the Tulsa area a lot, and he's always wanting me to go. And I'm like, I've never just been too gung ho about it because because of that reason. So mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, be careful. Okay, talking directly about the podcast, this is what we usually do. What What was your favorite part that stood out to you?
1: Yes, Any, anybody
0: can start. Yeah,
1: I'll tell you, it was. It has been my favorite of all the ones.
0: He really, he actually said this yesterday, it's which been, surprised me.
1: It's been my favorite since even. Bear Hunting Magazine. When we first started, it's been the because there was everyone that talked on there. I could relate to everything somebody was saying. You know, it was from Jimbo to the whole thing, the the biology and the the, the area because this. You know, these were questions that clients were were, were asking me. I had mm-hmm. people from New Jersey. They they wanted to know. Some of them never seen stars at night. They would stand outside in front of the camp in Raydale on the bank of the Arkansas River and look up at the stars and be amazed. And they were; just, it was just one question after another: "What kind of tree is this? Why do ducks come down here?" The things that you addressed mm-hmm. in that thing, and it was from me lying to them and telling them that a pick cotton field was the remnants of where they raised grits at. <laughs> that I never corrected that, <laughs> but to wow, to actual tell them the truth about things that I could actually answer, but. all of those things were just an intrinsic part of their experience. And it made me realize like the guy that snatched me out of my waiters there from Pennsylvania of of what we had, you know, and what we have and what we were, what we were able to do that those guys were just going to be able to see for like three days Mm -hmm. until the next year, every From start to finish. It
0: was nostalgic for it. I
1: loved it. Yeah, man. Brought back a million, million memories. Mm-hmm. I, now, there was one thing.
0: I, I listened to it the second time when it actually came out. Yeah. And I thought, man, I bet I've offended a bunch of people.
1: Well, did I? Here, here's, I what, so. here's what. Here's what. You don't think so? This was the only thing okay. that garnered my attention other than you saying pronunciation mm-hmm. was. I don't it know was how a, to pronounce first, the word. the first good. duck hunting podcast and as far as i know i'm the first duck guide you ever knew and my reference was cornbread which was which was really kind yeah. of good anyway. Well cornbread trumps everything
3: got called out for your love of cornbread, <laughs>
1: which is
6: true which is true no shame in that no that's right
3: i loved it uh i've i've listened to every single one of the bear grease podcast and bear grease renders except for the most for the most recent render okay um way to go austin yeah, he's, he's on that. the train, yeah. man. No, nice. I had some special perspective on it, not because I worked <laughs> for a game of fish, but because I grew up Arkansas dunk hunting, right? And right. then I left it, mm. and I did it in South Carolina, did it in Virginia. Was uh, it different? Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> the look of disgust <laughs> on his face. Where, but, to be, where to begin? But I tell people it was so much different, but it made me such a better hunter. Not just because I appreciated it, but because I, I had to pay attention to so many more variables Sure. Uh, when you're hunting, you know, public land off the Potomac River with, you, you know, you got to worry about tides. You, you've got to worry about like when the temperature falls into single digits, uh, big water, just a million different variables. And, and I had my boat inside my garage out there one winter and my dad came out there. we were standing in, in, in the garage talking and he looked in it in my boat and said, Son, why in the world do you have bluebill decoys? <laughs> <laughs> bluebill decoys. You have shamed it's the family. A- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. like, like, hey, Forget the crocs. That's yeah. <laughs> like worse than crocs. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and you know, he you know, I was like, what well, dad? It's just that's just what we have out here. <laughs> He's like, and why even go? Now, right. what what is the bluebill decoy? <laughs> uh, it, it, so a bluebill is a type of duck. Okay. It's a diver not a dabbling duck. Oh. Uh, And Luke's going to correct me if I get anything wrong here. It's a fun bird to chase. Uh, They fly very erratically, so they're fun to shoot, but they're not quite as tasty and not near as pretty as a mallard. Okay. Uh, I mean, the blue
0: bill kind of sounds nice to me. It's not mal I'm more yeah. of a
3: mallard guy. Right, right. Yeah, always yeah,
0: have, always been. have been. Always have been. Since last week. I mounted
3: the one mallard Ooh. I've ever killed. Right <laughs> so I loved it from that perspective. And then the second thing that I really liked about it was the outro. Your description of it's a good thing when North American hunters love a critter yeah. so much yep. That, yep. that they chase it for its feathers, its fur, or its meat. Because we'll do yep. whatever we take to try to preserve that and uh as i've kind of approached the game of fish as an as an outsider but as a lifelong beneficiary of it i'm very focused on trying to restore that connection between consumption and sportsmanship so awesome yeah
0: yeah man that statement is so true and i mean that's really the message that we're trying to to send to the broader world mm-hmm. is that man the best thing that could happen if you were a game species is that guys like this would sit around on a podcast one beautiful lady uh would and then would would, <laughs> would talk about hunting that <laughs> species it came
4: up in the last render <laughs> yeah it's inside baseball again. okay <laughs> yeah
0: no i mean that's the best thing that could happen because where an, where where an animal has cultural value and see these are the things that i think need to be on all of our tongues just to intuitively be able to say it i want my kids to be able to say this is that where an animal has cultural value it's protected and its habitat is protected. Mm-hmm. And when you when you when you when you can't hunt something when 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 the common man has no incentive because he cannot partake of that resource he he has no incentive to protect that. And I mean that's the North American model is that we've given people the common man incentive to want to protect wildlife and we've built this culture this hunting culture into our families and North America, oddly enough, has the most big game animals of anywhere on the planet, and the strongest, most robust hunting culture of anywhere on the planet. They
2: and other fishing, places, but they do and not fishing and fishing. We got our slot limits that we observe yes, on the White River. Exactly. So,
3: so, Brent, would you say, in light of Clay's remark, that the mallard is valued culturally in Southeast Arkansas? No. <laughs>
1: yes, I would say. Hey.
3: I would say it'd be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: then the mallard duck. Pretty and close. It, no, it's not even close, but he, the mallard duck's the next one on the rung. Probably. Yeah.
0: No, I thought that was an interesting question because it's so – it's like there's no question. I mean, like you guys that are in it deep, that, that never – I mean, has it ever crossed your mind that why are we targeting this animal? So Why is this one so special? I mean, these guys, they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. They're yeah. like, oh. Uh, I mean- it's a no-brainer. It's just yeah, it just is. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because that, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. And I, I thought that was a cool section of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, it answered my questions because there's always functionality. There's always function behind something that seems just totally cultural. You know, they're they're the vocal duck. They're the biggest duck. They're meat duck. They're the most widely geographically distributed duck. So it's a no-brainer once you understand these pieces of science behind it you know that uh that's like yeah the king of ducks man yeah. the mallard duck
6: makes but there a is lot of a, sense there is a cultural connection i mean it, 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 we just kind of denigrated bluebells here for a second but, <laughs> but <if laughs> you, Blue Bills. you know if you go out like the the legendary I and mean, people here again they kind of like i might get struck by lightning but you know waterfowl hunting didn't start in arkansas I mean, just what? Yep. yeah, Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but you think about we the talk e- when you get back. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> <There'll> be, <laughs> I'll have my letter on your desk in the morning. Yeah. But there's, <laughs> there, but you think about, you know, the diving ducks, back, mm-hmm. scop, bluebills, you know, that decoy carving. That's an East Coast tradition and Great Lakes mm-hmm. tradition built around totally different species, com- largely different life histories, different behaviors, different ways of pursuing them it's all duck hunting but much different techniques used uh you know my time out six years out in california in the central valley where the where the northern pintail is king Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating watching that when i was out there was kind of during this transition phase where pintail populations were declining uh continentally bag limits were declining uh so it went from back in the days where brent mentioned the point system Mm uh they were pintails were bonus duck in the 70s in california which meant you could shoot 10 of them per day. Mm. And, and it built this whole culture of managing habitat for pintails, which is a different structure. It's wide open, huge, uh, mm. huge. You know, I hunted one time out there with a friend over, you know, 3,000 decoys. And wow. just these, just a totally, just wide open water, like four to six inch deep, wide open. And as pintail limits dropped, people started managing for mallards. And so now people in California are managing much, much more for mallards than they, than they did in the seventies, eighties, and early nineties, because kind of the, the, the King duck sort of switched mm. based on, uh, you know, j- regulations, kind of apparent population size uh, and kind of the availability to, to, uh, have that, that harvest opportunity. And so it's, it's, it's kind of these regional, we have these regional differences in what duck is important, uh, but. You know, as we talked about on the podcast, I mean, it, it's it's just there's just no doubt who's king here, and yeah. and it's the mallard in in most parts of the country, and nobody nobody can challenge the argument that that Arkansas is the king of the mallard. Loca- like, I mean, mm-hmm. the mallard is king, and Arkansas is the king for mallards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so that that's pretty much undebatable. Just despite uh, you know rumors of its demise are are greatly exaggerated. So yeah, talk
0: talk to me about that because it's probably everybody just wants to talk about the negative and that's what you hear. But I hear guys say that, you know, there's not as many coming down, you know, it's different than it used to be. And I know that it is different. I mean, just just talk to me about that.
6: Yeah, it's totally different, but you always got to kind of compartmentalize, right? That different doesn't necessarily mean worse or it's always going to stay this way. I mean, it may change right, right back. Uh, we don't, we don't know, um it, it, a lot of good things have happened just this could be a whole nother conversation but if, if you think back it, it well it's kind of interesting where people um establish their frame of reference right it's it's always fascinating to talk to people i had a colleague in louisiana who he's lived there now he actually was from california but lived there for over 30 years now and was getting you know finger in his chest from from some guy talking about how terrible duck hunting was now and and he finally asked him, he's like, man, I've been duck hunting in Louisiana 30 years. I wasn't born and raised here. He said, how many years have you been duck hunting? Just out of curiosity, well, eight. <laughs> like, well, so so where's your frame of reference? And I think it's, I think that's really important because some old timers, I say that kindly, Brent, <laughs> had, have a different perspective on it. And 20s, 1920s. Right. Yeah. Uh, there have been a lot of changes. And if you think uh, kind of continentally in what's happened for waterfowl habitat, we've done a lot of good stuff. We've put a lot of wetlands back on the landscape across the entire mid-continent mallard range. So we should expect the distribution of those birds to change. I see. It does not mean that Arkansas is still not king. And it doesn't mean that Arkansas is maybe getting fewer ducks. An argument could be made that, hey, populations have been high for the last five to ten years, let's say, record highs. You could make the argument that Arkansas maybe should have seen a bigger boost than what we might have, what some people have, have, have perceived. Um, and even what we've counted in some of our some of our data. But it, it's just kind of a broadening out of this whole duck range, and it makes people uneasy. More people are right. shooting ducks in more places. It doesn't mean that Arkansas is still not the leader. I see. Um, it makes it a little bit more unpredictable here. And okay. and so that predictability, I mean, you know that Mother Nature is never predictable, but but humans... Just want everything to be exactly the same. We want those seven hundred ducks in the decoys, right in the hole every single day we go. And it's kind of a human coping mechanism to always remember the most positive experiences, right? And so you have it framed like you can never expectations never go anything but up. The social scientists in this field tell me they say expectations they just keep ratcheting up. Mm -hmm. And every time you go, you know, forty
1: four years of duck hunting that happened
0: once. Yeah. What you said about yeah. 800 ducks flying that, in
6: there—that happened one time. And yeah. That's great perspective. So
0: yeah, well, th- and I think it's human nature too to want to uh find reasons, maybe, and not not an excuse for not being successful, but like to just to talk about the the time you went that it was bad, you know, or or that or how your
3: luck has changed or whatever, you know. And yeah. I think another coping mechanism, <clears throat> which Brent. I know you've got opinions about is um is gear. I mean, the amount of of money that people are spending on every single piece of gear now compared to what they were spending on it twenty five years ago is just absolutely nuts. Mm. And hey, this is America, they can spend their money how how however they want to, and that's awesome. But, you know, people have high expectations and sometimes the season doesn't deliver on that. So they buy this piece of gear that that's that's going to help them reconcile that gap. I think the expectations then go even further. Oh, uh, so you're you saying know? the more yeah. you spend on gear, the more expectation
0: yeah. you have.
6: Well, sure, yeah. you're
1: more invested. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm.
6: yeah you do drive around these parking lots and you've got sixty to eighty thousand uh, dollars. And we talked about what there'd be two, three hundred vehicles in biomed on a given day, right? And half of those have got about got. You know, 50, let's say fifty to seventy plus thousand dollars parked there. So there, add that up. They've I mean, got that, some that's a lot incentive of incentive to bring some yeah. duck
0: meat home. Oh right? yeah. Well, and then I wonder how many were people talking bad about Arkansas duck hunting th- forty years ago? I mean, no. do you, do you still well, what i Like, I mean, there were there were people that had bad duck hunts forty years ago. That's the, what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Well, sure they did, and but uh, there wasn't the, an
0: internet then.
1: The biggest roadblock or the biggest stumbling block that we ran into was overcrowding. And as Mm -hmm. duck hunting got more popular and it was, I can attribute it only to what I saw, you know, a TV show comes out about duck hunting. And then the next year the parking lot started getting fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller of people. And I would say it would have been a boon to duck stamp sales. And ammunition sales and Pittman-Robertson probably benefited from that, which benefited the whole state, everything. But you've, you've also still got a limited amount
3: of space yeah. with a large influx of, of new people. And that's what I would say. I, I enjoy this, this sociological discussion about human expectations. The last thing that I want people to think is that, you know, me and Luke are saying – Uh, the duck hunting in Arkansas is absolutely perfect. And anybody that thinks otherwise is a crazy person. No. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenged resource continentally. Uh, I think we've got some access problems. We've got some habitat problems, which will be, uh, part two. Uh, we got plenty of habitat problems in, in Canada. Uh, so yeah, uh, we, we deal with unrealistic expectations a lot, but, uh, (laughs) But on the flip side of that, it's a challenge resource and we need to be more adaptive in how we manage the resource, but also in how we how we deal with people uh, in their favorite 60 days of the year.
0: Yeah. Hey, Austin, tell me about, tell me your philosophy, just what you see this next trail looking like for the Game and Fish and your mm-hmm. leadership inside of it.
3: Yeah, we're in a really nice turning point right now. Not necessarily turning a nice turning point because I'm the new guy here and I think everything needs to change, but turning point culturally in in the agency uh, where a lot of people internally know that we need to change. Uh, we, we've got major fluctuations going on uh, on the regulatory landscape and also some major changes uh, in the habitat as well. And I mean, Luke, tell me if you think uh, i'm wrong here but the number one thing that we have going for right now i think we got a really solid set of commissioners and so uh, you, I, you want to bad mouth any of
0: this i
6: already i already kind of like i i held out when we talked about the when austin talked about the hiring process mm. and because there's Lots of other stories from the staff side uh, yeah. um, how that, about <laughs> oh, how that went okay. down. As, as, as you would imagine, uh, oh, I so, hear Missouri needs a new waterfowl. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, may, you yeah. May yeah. Take Arizona. Job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Arizona's a great place to work on waterfowl. They got no GTRs. Um, no, it, it is. A, I agree with that because, and the only thing I'll say about it as as a evidence of that is that probably one of the biggest issues that this agency has ever tackled, and that's I don't think that's hyperbole, is the GTR stuff. And we started that in well a couple times, but 2014, let's say, and so that's an entire term of one commissioner, seven years now. Which you could do the math. So that's like however many that is total, ten or twelve of them, different mm-hmm. people. Right. And we have held the same ground and continued on the same path toward change since 2014 with with that many yeah. different commissioners. Yeah. 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 And, and and I
3: mean, there's not a single commissioner that I know that I can that I would, would point at and be like, oh, yeah, he's not a very good guy. <laughs> they're all awesome. Uh they're they all serve the state for seven year terms. It's all unpaid. And they put in just an immense amount of work. And they all do it because they care about the resource. Uh what I meant by that comment is we don't just have great people right now. We've got a rare chemistry going on. Uh mm-hmm. where where um we're all pointed in the right direction and, and we're all can get it, stuff done. Yeah, we, we can get stuff done. So back to your original question. Uh, we're, we're about to roll out a strategic plan for the agency. Uh, haven't had one in some time. Um, but we're going to roll that out soon. And, and, uh, the way that I'm thinking about everything is, uh, habitat first and Arkansans always, uh, in the Marine Corps, we say that about the mission. Mission first, marine always. Well, mm. habitat first, and Arkansans always. And, and you know, at the end of the day, everything we do comes back to habitat. Um, yeah. We can talk about, you know, the deer resource, the duck resource, the trout resource. Everything comes back to habitat. And if we don't stay laser-focused on that, then everything else is just details. Yeah. Second, Arkansans. That means communicating to them what's going on in the resource, having regulations that make sense, and providing meaningful, quality public lands with access. Yeah. So, And you've been having these uh,
0: these public meetings that are different. Tell us about one of your public meetings. What would it, be like?
3: Yeah. So the public meetings that we do with the GTRs. WrestleMania. Uh, uh, <laughs> actually, no.
4: no. Actually, no. <laughs> no. 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 Uh,
3: so I worked In on GTR.
0: Yeah, see, that's what I was going to say. T- okay, what is that? So we haven't. We, the next podcast will be about Green Tree Reservoirs. Yeah. So Green Tree Reservoirs are this flooded basically flooded timber
4: which you talked about in the podcast like you foreshadowed a ton about a ton yeah of <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. yeah.
3: course so gtr
0: gtr means intentionally flooded timber
3: yes brent i know would agree with this definitely luke but there are people in, in arkansas for a good reason that are not interested in hunting ducks over a rice field or a moist i know again. i'm not <laughs> the the only thing they want to do is see ducks laying in the trees. Right. We're on the same page. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it because it's magical. But I worked on the hill for a little bit when I was still in the Marine Corps. Uh, so I, I got to see s- some congressional town halls. And I wanted to take a little bit different approach <laughs> from just bringing our poor staff in and uh you know passing the mic around and letting letting luke and everybody else get yelled at Mm. so what we did was we made it not informal but we intentionally selected venues where we could cook for people it was a goal of mine from day one that i i wanted to get off the stage eye to eye with people and actually literally break bread with them and Cornbread? Oh, I don't ladies. think we had
6: cornbread. Was, I think we had some rolls. That was a miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got you yeah. back. Yeah. Okay. Next time, bread. we'll, we'll uh, Luke
3: try that in a waterfowl position. <laughs> now yeah, yeah. we'll have cornbread when we do our Black Panther town halls. Oh, here we go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I'm waiting to jump oh, on him still, about that. luke's still got to tell us about his podcast <laughs> idea, but carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we walk in this meeting. Uh, I would kick us off, talk very high surface level about what we were doing on each GTR. Uh, and then I would bring up the commissioners, bring out the staff. All of the commissioners were wearing blue Arkansas Game and Fish shirts. I would introduce all the commissioners and where they were from. And then all the agency staff, in, including Luke and myself, were wearing white shirts. And I would introduce each of the staff members saying, this is Luke Naylor. He's our waterfowl biologist. If you have questions about anything pertaining to ducks or geese, just ask him. This is Rob Willie over here. Rob Willie is our Habitat Program Coordinator. If you have questions about forest management and red oaks and white oaks and all that stuff, ask Rob. And so we would go down the line. And then one of the last things that I, I always did is I said, if you're raising, or sorry, if you're wearing a white shirt and you hunt ducks on public land, raise your hand. And all the guys, raise your hand. And then I would say, all right, we're going to talk again in an hour. And I would turn the mic off. And we had maps set up around the room. And, and you know, people are eating barbecue at some places they're having a beer. And uh, the conversation was actually conversation. It it was actually productive, meaningful dialogue. And right. uh, in all four public meetings, I made a point to remove myself from the crowd and just kind of go back and observe in every single time. I would look out over the room. And there were white shirts and blue shirts, and, and they were each in their own little pocket of uh, of people. And, and the only thing that was happening was heads nodding up and down. So that was tremendous for me to watch You know these guys like Luke that I see work so hard every single day uh, in their element, in their expertise, actually having eye-to-eye, eye-to-eye conversations with people. So they've been successful, huh? they've been very well luke what do you yeah, do?
6: well yeah I, I compare that to the old way of doing things mm-hmm. and you know there was there's was a need to be to be present to be to kind of open your doors and have people come in and have an opportunity to communicate uh but you know we used to hold a series of regulatory public meetings every year and they it got to the point you know you'd have you'd have 20 or 30 game and fish staff and about five members of the public show up yeah and we did a few of them a a, a couple of years ago about gtrs and went pretty well um not not a lot of yelling and screaming and people angry at each other um that's a good thing that's know, actually like i know it yeah. was only a little bit we, we like those passionate people luke I, I do and but what was neat about this new way is that they could there's a difference between having a passionate conversation with someone yeah. disagreeing agreeing whatever yeah, sure. having an argument versus um having a podium yeah either whether that be us or be a member of the public. Mm. And it kind of puts everybody on the same level right. playing field where we're not talking, literally in a lot of cases, talking down to people, giving PowerPoints and everybody's going to sleep and tired of hearing it. And, and then also have an open mic night mm. for yeah. the public where people get start to get amens and preach it, brothers mm. and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of just, you kind of get the whole crowd riled up. It, it ends up being one person. That's right. This is co-
0: not an effective you don't get any
6: information out to anybody because that right. person, it, whether it's us or them, yeah. like it, it's, it's not productive for either of us. Yeah. And they all left home with somebody they felt like.
3: And we would end every meeting the same way too. Right. You know, we had an hour of dialogue with staff. I would come back up there. We'd hand out some door prizes. And then the last thing we would say is, is, is I would say, is there anybody that's going to walk out that door tonight with their question not answered? And sometimes we'd have a few of them ra- raise their hand and we'd sort through it that way. But eventually, you know, that was their time to ask, to ask questions, to have an open mic. Cause I am sensitive people that are upset and I want to hear them out as a director. That's my job, but we heard them out and everybody walked the door, didn't have a question or, or they forever hold their peace. Well, it sounds like, sounds like you're making
0: the agency more accessible to people. Yeah. That just sounds I like hope so. what, yeah. what's what the, the goal is. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. I really appreciate yeah, it. Great to be here. Uh, it's good to be here. I, I, thanks for your contribution to the to the main podcast, both of you. And this next this next week is gonna be uh, we're gonna get into the nitty gritty of the Green Tree Reservoirs, which is why we started this whole conversation. Sure. And yeah. for the record, I approached these guys about this. They didn't they didn't call me and say, Hey, we want you to do a podcast on this. That's not right. the way it happened at all. That's right. I, I heard about what was going on knew nothing about it, thought that I should, learned a little bit about it, and thought, that's interesting. And then so we're making this, we're going to do a two-part series on you know, Arkansas duck hunting and the GTR situation. Yeah, so thanks for coming up here, guys. Luke, yeah. Perfect. Real I really it. appreciate it. Thanks for yeah, having us. Nice. Austin, thank you, man.
3: Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. You're
4: going to thank us?
0: Thank you so much
3: for being <laughs> here. For saying yes.
4: <laughs> yeah, for saying
0: This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash grease. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal